Uh, we're beginning a brand new series called Marriaging. Yes, it is not a word. Yes, we made it up. Um, however, there is a word called adulting. Some of you know it. Some of you are like, what? No, there's not. Yes, there is. It is coined by every single millennial you'll ever meet. And what it is, is this process or learning how to become an adult. When it comes to marriage, uh, we spend so much energy, time, and money on getting married, and yet somehow shift into autopilot when we become married, and we don't take time to learn how to be married. And we're going to take uh, a season and, and stop and talk about how do you actually be married. In fact, uh, I do a lot of um, premarital counseling, and I, and I always say this to young couples. If you would take as much time, if you would take all the energy and all the money that you're putting into your wedding day and began to invest it in your marriage, your chances of success would go through the roof. And so this morning, we're going to be uh, kicking off this series, Marriaging, but I wanted you to get the context because we're going to be teaching through Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33, and because we teach in series, sometimes it's disconnected that you don't realize we've been teaching through a book of the Bible. We teach topically at times, and we teach uh, through a book of the Bible. A lot of times, it's one uh, and same at the same time. So I want to just, next slide here, let you know that Ephesians 1, 1 through 23 was unnoticed grace. It was a series we did about a year and a half ago. In Pursuit of Peace was Ephesians 2, 1 through 22. A Dialogue with Mystery, Ephesians 3, 1 through 21. Better, uh, that was last spring. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Human Becomings, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. And then Spark, we did this fall, Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. I just wanted you to get kind of the picture, because some people go, well, why don't you teach through a book of a Bible? I'm like, we are. But because the way we package it, sometimes you don't always notice it. Um, one of the great tragedies is that um, the church, the bride of Christ, has all too often become known for what we're against rather than what we're for. Somewhere along the line, come as you are turned in to clean up your life. I get it. It's safer that way. It's easier. It's not messy. However, it creates a group of hypocritical, judgmental jerks. And it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus hung out with all the, quote, wrong people. Jesus hung and died on the cross for all the, quote, wrong type of people. This room is filled, me included, with all the wrong people. I think Jesus might feel very uncomfortable in many of the churches today. The church, the bride of Christ, was intended to be a hospital for a sick. A lighthouse for those lost at sea, and yet it has sadly become oftentimes a country club for the in crowd. A bubble to protect from the world. Uh, when it comes to marriage, I believe the church 
has lost its influence. I think because we fought many of the wrong battles, trying to hold the world to conformity instead of holding ourselves accountable. So as we begin this subject, yes, we had awakening hold to an orthodox Christian view of marriage as expressed in the New Testament. That's a covenant commitment between one man and one woman for life. We believe that those who identify as followers of Jesus are called to bring their life into obedience and conformity. <laughs> and also believe that we shouldn't hold those who are not calling themselves followers of Jesus to the same standard. I love how Jenny Allen, the founder of IF, which are women, uh, were at this last weekend, addressed this in her blog post. She said, if you disagree with that, if you yet to land on the above statement, we are also deeply committed to building a safe place for you and all people to come and experience and know Jesus and consider him. All people are welcome at IF and Awakening. I just want to be clear that from the stage, we are giving you the Bible and Jesus when you come. It's not about an issue. It's about people. I have some incredible Christian friends who are gay, that love Jesus with all their heart. Their deep sacrifice they are making and walking with Jesus and honoring him in their sexuality is humbling, faith-filled, immensely difficult, and profoundly courageous. So I want to be clear right up at the front. If you are gay or same-sex attracted, you are welcome here. If you are married to someone of the same sex, you are welcome here. And I am sorry for the hate that is spewed from those who have claimed the name of Jesus. We love you, and Jesus loves you. As I've said before, I believe the church needs to be a safe place for all people to wrestle with questions I believe the church, once more, must be known for how we love. I believe to love the way Jesus loved is incredibly messy. And I believe when a person experiences the love of Jesus, they are forever changed. May we be that kind of church. Let's pray. God, as we begin this conversation about marriage all week long, my heart's been just broken because I know as we talk about marriage and relationships, we're talking about disappointment for some. We're talking about pain for others. We're talking about suffering silently, that there's those that have walked in this room that desperately need to hear from you and meet with you. They need significant relationships in their lives to be restored, healing in their hearts to become a reality. And so, God, in this brief moment, would you do what I cannot? Would you invade this space? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you bring about peace and hope and life in the strong and powerful name of Jesus? Amen. Oh. years ago, this December, I got up <laughs> It's amazing my wife still looks the same. <laughs> Unbelievable.
It's crazy to think. I was going through old pictures yesterday. 14 years ago, we said, I do. And I thought just to begin it, I might, I, I sang her a song that day. Can I sing you a song? I'll sing her the song that I sung her. No, and it's not very good. Check, check, check. Get me in there. Um, <laughs> testing one, two. Check it a check. Here we go. Come on. I'm not in the house there, bud. There we go. All right. But I sang this song. This is how, actually how I proposed to her. So I proposed to her on East Cliff, and then, um, and then I sang this at the wedding. Um, let's see if I can remember it. Your eyes glisten like sunset rays across the ocean blue. Your smile captivates like vast fields of wildflowers in the spring, wildflowers in the spring. Your voice is a sweet song, I love to hear you singing softly in my dreams. But as for all of these, they all fade away, fade away because it's your heart that I love most. It's your love for Jesus. It pushes me towards him, and it's you, I'm so thankful for. All right, so this next part is where I asked her to marry me. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Would you spend the rest of your life with me, with me? Because it's your heart that I love most. All right, you get the gist. I just did that to see if I could still play the guitar. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I wrote that song 14 years ago. My wife is still waiting for another song. <laughs> She's like, when am I getting a song? Something happened after I said I do. She's like, uh, cuddling? What happened to cuddling? And you don't write me songs anymore. <laughs> what is going on? On. This morning we're talking about married or not, and what we're going to talk about is going to be true for you whether you're married or not, because this is, we're going to talk about the most powerful relationship principle on the planet, and it's so true for you if you're married, and so true for you regardless of what relationship, but here's what I know. 14 years ago, when I said I do, 
Back to that picture. I had no idea what, I didn't have a clue what was in store for us. That's my family now. I said 14 years ago, and now I have three kids. We moved to three different states. We've been here. It's been an incredible journey filled with peaks and valleys. And here this morning is what I wish I knew. What I wish I really took to heart What perhaps someone maybe sat down with me, but I don't remember it 14 years ago, that would have saved an incredible amount of heartache and pain. And so this morning, I want to talk through the most powerful relationship principle on the planet. To do that, I want to first unpack uh, a myth or a lie we believe in. The myth of marriage goes something like this. And though all of us know it to be a myth, we still buy into it. It's one of the undercurrents of our culture that when I find the right person, everything will work out. Anybody? Right. When I find the right person. It's, hey, when, when I find you, everything is going to work out right Now, there's some lies that are unpacked under this myth. First of all, is that if I am not married, I'm incomplete. I have to find the right person. In Christianity, Jesus elevated singleness. Jesus was single and not incomplete. And so those in the room who are single, either you feel called to singleness or maybe you're in a season of singleness, you are not incomplete and you are not lacking. That's so important that we start off this morning. The second lie underneath this is that if it's not working out right, then they must be the wrong person. If if we're going through a hard time, If it's a struggle, I remember this. So I sang that beautiful song to my wife. I remember this. Within the first year, and this is like one of those confessions, so just take it as it is. Um, And and we began to hit some clashes, you know, some conflicts. I remember thinking this. and, And maybe you thought this. Did I marry the wrong person? And everyone else is looking at it like, Ingram, I don't know how you got so lucky, right, you know? But those thoughts go through our head. If they are the right person, this is insidious lie right here, then I won't have to change. I won't have to adjust my life. I won't have to alter who I am. If they are truly the right person, because if they're, we want the right person who puts no demands on us, who asks nothing of us, but only completes us, whatever that means. (laughs) And under when I find the right person, everything will work out right, we subtly believe this, then all problems will vanish. You know what? There's no problems around here. See, when I said I do, I really didn't have a clue what I was committing to. Most of us who stand up and say that, we don't have any idea, and it's the journey and the process of God forming us and growing us together that is so critical and important. You see, the truth of the matter is there are predictable stages and seasons in every single relationship, 
And you can't skip any of these stages. I want to go, before we get to the most powerful relationship principle on the planet, I, I want to walk us through the five stages of a relationship. Some of these you might uh, be familiar with. The first stage is the honeymoon stage. That's where everything is absolutely perfect. This is opposites attract, and you're like, oh, he's the most amazing guy on the planet. She's the most amazing woman on the planet. Have you ever had a fight? How could I fight with her? She's perfect. And they're in this la-la land, and, and in the honeymoon stage, reason is not reasonable, right? You've ever tried to counsel someone in the honeymoon stage? You ever tried to speak to them? And they're like, no. They just won't listen to you. I've been there, so I get it. I've been in the honeymoon stage. And that lasts for a season, anywhere from six months to two years. Some people call it puppy love. But then, ultimately, what happens is stage two. The disillusionment stage. If only they would change your disillusion because opposites no longer attract. The differences that once were so wonderful now are dividing you. Their little habits. Man, that's annoying. Squeeze the tube from the back end. Don't, not from the middle. Come on, everybody knows that. Put the toilet paper so the roll is on the outside. If only they would change. If only they would be more kind. If only they'd be more pleasant. If only they would be more sexually available. If only they would be more organized. If only they would be more spontaneous. Okay, I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta lay some ground rules. I gotta lay some ground rules. Keep your elbows in at all times during the sermon. None of this, all right? None of this. I've just got it. I, I can already tell. All right. Because this next one, this, there is no room for an amen when I get to the next stage, all right? No room. Honeymoon stage, the disillusionment stage, if only they would change. Stage three is the misery stage. You realize that you can't change them. You realize there's nothing you can do to change them. You find that your arguments for years have been the same argument. You're stuck in a cycle. You're stuck in a pattern. And though the subject may differ, it's always the same thing. Many people feel stuck or hopeless here. They get distracted by their career. They get distracted by um, maybe their extracurricular activities. Some people think to get out of the misery stage, let's have kids. Oh, good grief, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, we're miserable, so let's bring some kids into this. That's a great idea. Many people get divorced at this stage, and we, and we repeat. This is where our culture is. We repeat. We go back to the honeymoon stage. Why? Because it's awesome. It's wonderful. And you get to know people at a surface level. And then you go, get down deep and you realize, oh, they're ugly too, like, just like me. Hmm. Well, 
must have been the wrong person. Go find the right person again. However, however, stage four is the awakening stage. You begin to ask a different question. Instead of asking, what can they change? How can, this is, how can I fix them? Isn't that how we, how we think about it? If they could only change this, how can I fix this? And you're trying to do everything to like fix them, to change the way they think, the way they operate. The awakening stage, you begin to ask, what can I do to change? Realizing that the only thing you can control, the only thing that you can change is yourself. I love it. You know, no matter how flat a pancake, there's always two sides. Every argument you realize, okay, I'm not innocent in this, that I'm part of the problem as well. Um, the awakening stage for my wife and I came a couple years ago. So we've been married 14 years, so about 11 years in, realizing we were stuck in this cycle. And, and you know what really helped us? And this is just a moment of vulnerability because I think it'll help you. Counseling. Counseling, having an outside voice speak into our lives, a great counselor. Man, we've gone to counseling for the last two years. Right, we, we, I, we love our times with our counselor. She's amazing. If you hang out with us long enough, we'll probably quote Sue at some point. Sue says this. Our family is so annoyed because we quote Sue all the time. But instead of trying to fix her, or instead of her trying to fix him, instead of being so frustrated, we now are saying, you know, what can I do to change? How can we grow? How can we change? And as you step into that, then you experience stage five, which is the intimacy stage, where you become a teen. Uh, we, we were, I don't know where we got this from. My wife could probably tell you, but um, we had this prayer when we were dating that we'd be better together than we ever could be apart. That was our prayer. I don't know where that came from. Um, she, she would know. Uh, but that was our prayer. And here's what's phenomenal, is it was through the process of where I look at today and go, man, our differences aren't dividing us. Our differences are the things that are actually refining us. And we're now able to leverage our differences for the good of the other and those around us. Where God, 14 years later, I believe, is answering that prayer in so many incredible ways. That if we gotten out at the misery stage, we would not experience. And for some, you're in the disillusionment misery stage. And I, I'm just here to tell you, there's stage four and stage five. If you're willing to go there, and it has to do with you. Where you'd leverage your differences to complement the other. The five stages of relationship, you can't skip a stage. And so whether you're married or not, these are these stages that we go through. And here is the most powerful relationship principle on the planet. You ready for it? Okay, you're not. Okay, well, <laughs> it's fine. We don't have to go there. I can give you the second. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to give you the second. The most powerful relationship principle on the planet. I didn't know this 14 years ago. I cognitively understood it seven or eight years ago. Now I go, this, this is life. 
This is what helps you transition from stage three to stage four and five. The most powerful relationship principle on the planet is mutual submission. Mutual submission. Mutual submission. Uh, Submit's got kind of a, a, a bad rap. And in fact, um, in our passage, Ephesians 5, 21, and we're going to talk about 22 and the, uh, what equality doesn't mean next week. But it's gotten a bad rap because we often interpret it for one of the sexes in the church, because it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And it's become this domineering 1950 thought. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. We just pull something out of context and use it for your own pride or ego. What the Bible teaches is this universal principle, not for marriage, but for every single person. (laughs) This isn't just a principle for a marriage relationship. This is a principle for the church. This is a principle and a calling for every single follower of Jesus that we would mutually submit to one another. And here's how the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. In fact, you can write under there, support one another. Prefer. Another word you could put there. Prefer one another. Reverence for Christ. In fact, the Greek word here is hupotasso. Originally, is a Greek military term to arrange a trooper division in a military fashion under the command of a leader. However, in a non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude, a giving in, a cooperating, assuming responsibility, a carrying a burden. Submit. Here's what it means. I'm going to leverage. I'm going to leverage my power. I'm going to leverage my time. I'm going to leverage my assets for your benefit. That's what this means. I'm going to leverage all that I have, all that I am for your well-being and your good. That's what this word submit means. Submit to who? 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 Help me out. One another. This is, this is true, by the way, in our missional communities. This is true, by the way, with your kids. In fact, Paul's going to apply it to both husband-wife and parent-child relationship. Submit to one another. Now, here's what's so important. How? Out of reverence for Christ. I actually use this passage every time I do a wedding and read through the whole thing, and I'll explain more next week on that. But you know why this is so powerful? That, that I'm going to leverage... All that I am, I'm going to leverage all that I have for your well-being and your, your benefit. The reason this is so powerful is it isn't, you're not leveraging it because they deserve it. You're not leveraging it because they earned it. You're not leveraging it because they had a good day and so you're going to reward them. You're leveraging all that you are and all that you have for their benefit and well-being out of reverence for Christ. Oh, this is so powerful. This is amazing. Because she's going to have a bad day. He's going to be a jerk. 
There's going to be days when you do not feel like loving him. There's going to be weeks when you don't feel like loving her. And you go, hey, you know what? I'm still going to leverage everything I have, my power, my time, my assets, all that I am for her benefit, for his benefit, not because you deserve it, not because you earned it, not so that I can get something out of it, but because of what Christ has done for me and because of who I am in him, I can give that now to you. And so there's an approach to mutual submission. The approach to mutual submission is a love marked by giving, not getting. A love that is marked by giving, not getting. Have you ever had someone do something for you only to get something from you? Right? And, but you didn't know it at the time? And at one point it felt like this was the, you know... They were being so kind and good and generous, the generosity of a heart, and then you realize they wanted something from you. And, and then instead of feeling like, man, this is for your good, it felt like it was for their greed. You felt betrayed and manipulated. This happens all the time in marriages. This happens all the time in relationships. In fact, I, man, okay. I, I share these things, okay, just... Because I, I just want you to know this is how real it happens. Because this is the way it works. Do you remember that Mr. Clean ad at the Super Bowl? <laughs> right? Where he's cleaning. And then it was really the, the husband and the wife like jumps him. Okay. So I remember someone telling me that the sexiest thing you could do is chores around the house, washing the dishes. Like, oh, okay. Oh, c- cool. So what did I start doing? <laughs> hey, baby. Start washing dishes. I'm just washing. Now, I hate washing dishes. I hate it. I love cooking, hate washing dishes. But I'm washing them. And Jenny walks past. She doesn't even notice. She goes in the room. I think, well, maybe she's preparing for tonight, if you know what I mean. You know, and so I'm washing dishes. And then guess what? We just went to sleep. <laughs> nothing. Not, not, not a single, nothing. I said, well, maybe I need two days of dishwashing. All right. Washing dishes. Shake it, you know. A little sexy action going on there. Third day of washing dishes. I erupt in anger. Why? Because I was loving to get, not loving to give. And so I was deeply disappointed. And Jenny's just going... Fine, you're finally actually pulling your weight around the house. Thank you very much. Thank you for showing up and serving and doing what you should have always been doing. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, I was hoping that I'd get some extra loving out of this. And what I realized is so oftentimes in our love for each other, and this is the way I was, strings were attached. It was a love to get. It was a love to get. It was a love to get. Nothing will destroy relationships more than a love to get. And go, no, 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 I'm going to wash dishes. And you know why? Because I love you. That's it. 
I'm going to wash these dishes because, man, you're beautiful and you're amazing. But more than that, I love Jesus and what he's done for me. And so I'm just going to wash dishes. And who knows and who cares what happens next? I don't care. I'm just going to love you to give you love. It is so powerful, and it'll change your own heart attitude towards your spouse or towards the person in your life when you realize and begin to identify, no, there's been strings attached all the time. Some of my greatest frustrations come because I've been loving to get, and I think it's love. And no, it's selfish. It's greedy. It's me-centered. And so we, an approach to mutual submission is a love marked by giving, not getting. The objective is to bring out the best in the other person. Like my goal. Mutual submission. The reason this is so powerful is when you look at the other person, my goal, my aim, my objective is to bring out the very best in you. Like, how can I make you better? See, that's what mutual submission asks. That's the question. How can I help bring out the best in you? In fact, I'd encourage you, write that question down. Begin to ask it daily. If you're in a significant relationship, ask, how can I bring out the best in you? How can I bring out the best in you here? How can I love you in such a way that you become more like Jesus? How can I love you in such a way that, that you just like, you shine, Okay, so I wasn't always an idiot in the marriage, just a lot of it. A few years ago, I stumbled upon a question with my wife that I didn't know meant so much. But when we started Awakening Church, um, it was all hands on deck, you know. And so Jenny, if you don't know her, you saw her up there. I mean, she is a force to be reckoned with, an incredible leader. And if it wasn't for her, much of what has happened around here wouldn't have happened. And she's been, I mean, a full-time, non-paid employee, basically, for the last few years as we served together in building and leading this community, this church. And a couple years ago, I asked this question. I said, so Jenny, um, if we didn't plant Awakening we didn't start this, what would you want to be doing? Like our kids are now all in school and she really felt this strong conviction. Like she wanted to cherish those moments because they're fleeting and it was, it was her decision. She wanted to be home during that season. But now that our kids are out uh, uh, in school, like if we didn't start this, what, what would you really want to be doing? And, and I stumbled upon it. It wasn't like I was had it all figured out. It just, what it spoke to her is how to bring out the best. And she began to dream, began to dream. She's like, you know, I really love real estate. She always has. Ever since she was a little girl, she would go and get the little real estate, you know, pamphlets and look through the uh, things. If she would search on Redfin or whatever those other sites are, you know, for houses and rentals and just for fun of it. And it was so amazing to now get to be a part of, okay, how can I bring out the best? On this season, well, we're in a new stage. Why don't you do that? And she persevered, and now she just, she just got her real estate license on, in January. And I just look at that and go. <clears throat> I 
I, I, I don't know what that question will lead you to. But, but I promise you, it will, it will deepen your relationship. It, it will cause you to adjust. But I look back a couple years ago, I was just, it was just an innocent question, and I was just trying to love my wife. And she's brought that up time and time again, as what it did was it gave her the freedom to dream. The freedom to not feel like, hey, you're stuck in this box. You see, mutual submission is a love marked by giving, not getting, in order to bring out the best in the other person. Mutual submission asks this, how can I help bring out the best in you? How can I help? Not, not how do I bring it out, like you, how can I help? How can I help bring out the best? And here's the motivation, out of honor for Jesus. Out of honor for Jesus, not because they deserve it, or earned it. It's out of honor for Jesus. And this is why this is so powerful. The reason we don't ask that question or lean into mutual submission, the reason we don't want to go a love marked by giving with nothing expecting in return to, to go, you know what, I'm going to pursue your best, is we're afraid. We're afraid. That, that we won't get our needs met. We're afraid that we'll somehow get taken advantage of. A love marked by giving, not getting, in order to bring out the best in the other person, motivated by Jesus. Out of honor, out of reverence, See, Jesus, this is so good. Jesus did this for you. Jesus did this for me. <laughs> Leveraged his power, his time, his assets for our benefit. We celebrated it this morning in communion. And so when we look at the cross, when we look at Jesus... We go, okay, I, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I've been given grace by God. I've been given love. Jesus leveraged all that he had, in fact, died in my place so that I might have life. And so out of that, I'm going to love you. Out of that, I'm going to give you what you need. Out of that, I'm going to pursue your best, trusting him that he has my good. Out of honor for Christ. Jesus is both our motivation and our model. If you want a theological unpacking of this single verse, you go to Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And I just simply want to close with this and read it and let it just wash over you. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassionate compassion, then make my joy complete being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. 
Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or attitude of Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. God eternal Jesus, creator of the universe, the one who spoke and all things came into existence. This Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The most powerful relationship principle on the planet is this idea of mutual Submission, a love marked by giving, not getting, in order to bring out the best. Why? Because our Savior has done that for you and for me. That's how we can do it for others. You know, this week, as I've really been praying for you and praying for our time and praying for the series of. I've been overwhelmed in many cases for realizing that there's those that when we're talking about relationships, this is the place of some of your greatest frustrations, deep disappointment, that you, you walk around with unfulfilled longings. Some are suffering silently and ready to quit. I just invite you in this moment. Jesus wants to meet you there. Stop looking outside. Stop trying to solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. Go to Jesus. Only he will fulfill you. Only he will meet your deepest longing. And only he will heal the broken places in your heart. And so would you come, 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 come to Jesus. And it is in that place when you experience him and you experience his peace and his rest that you'll be able to give to others a love marked by giving.